This is The Strategist, episode 811. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. It's another Sunday. I already had some people texting me saying, where the hell's the podcast? Um, apparently unaware that we always release it at the exact same time on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, consistency is key. <laughs> that is that is what we are known for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's good. Corey, what's going on in your world? Are we uh, are we collectively, you and I, uh, going to be responsible for freeing Woj? Is that is that our responsibility at this point? Oh, we got to free Woj. Um, this is this is the big controversy in the NBA right now. Uh, a, a commentator famous for breaking all of the news in the NBA, like one of the most notorious, uh, you know, commentators in, in all of sports. Um, he he sent a very terse email to a U.S. senator, which I think just can be summarized two words: "fuck off." Yeah, that I think that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> what, what, what are you trying to get in there, Carter? <laughs> what do you know about this? What do I know about this? <laughs> I tell you, all I know, all all you need to know, and that is that free speech is allowed in the United States until you criticize a Republican senator. Here's are you willing? Are you were you willing to sign your name to a letter, Carter? With that, with yeah, that? I'm going to put my name on a letter. This well, is what's wrong with cancel culture right here. Right here. <laughs> and it's it's Great. that level of indignation that I am, of course I've never uh, been attracted. more upset with someone being suspended in my whole life. <laughs> someone that you did not know. Corey, you know, I, I'd say that the real test for the soul of America is definitely not Biden versus Trump. It is, of course, the battle of Shemps versus Woj. Uh, and, uh, I'm team Woj all the way. I am team Shemps team for obvious way. reasons. Uh, <laughs> the upstart brown guy battling the establishment white dude. The uh, real. And of course, if we've lost all our listeners, uh, don't worry. Stephen Carter knows everything about this topic, so he'll explain it to you. Speaking of Stephen Carter, uh, it is that level of indignation and ignorance that was, uh, of course, what attracted the state broadcaster to allow carter to cheat on us uh by joining another podcast i was once on west of center which makes you and i uh the two of the three people who've been on west of center on this podcast obviously you know they're picking the the prime the prime opinions not none of this second rate shit from you hogan none of that (laughs) no 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 i think this is like working your way up to asking the prettiest girl at the the school out You know, you start you get your confidence with a guy like Zane. Oh, yeah. you move on to a Steven. You know they'll they'll talk to themselves in the mirror for a while, and ultimately they'll ask oh, me. That, It'll happen. That's so sweet. Yeah. It's that sense of self that's just so endearing to us and our fans, Corey. <laughs> about you. Okay, let's move it on to our first segment. Can we be friends with benefits? Oh, All right, my guys. God. <laughs> <laughs> we we discussed. I, by the way, I have to I have to start on this note. Uh, the Toronto Sun. Stole my segment title. Oh, yeah. And I, d- I don't mean to be petty, but there is only one way that they could have come up with the segment title or the headline that they had in their newspaper, and that was stealing it from this podcast. So I just want to yeah. put them on notice. It's not a thing we really do because we're very friendly. We're very giving on this podcast. We're not petty. But I'm going to put them on notice and tell them to, and, and as, as, as the famous Adrian Wojnarowski says, uh, to fuck off. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like they need to. <laughs> so I just, it's a good callback. Yeah, okay, good. Good callback. Yeah, there you go. All righty, guys. So last week, Stephen Carter, of course, prognosticated that this story was not that big of a deal. Uh, a few more developments <laughs> have, have happened. You know, I, my record for prediction remains exactly the same. Exactly the same as it always has. I am amazing at it. So the fact that, um, you know, over a quarter of a million dollars has now been paid to the Trudeau family, uh, that is new information. That's new information that I did not have when I last made the prediction. So well, let's let's start with that, because there's been several layers of new information, but I don't think none as more relevant as as what you just mentioned, Carter, which was over the course of 28 events, Margaret Trudeau got paid a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, Justin Trudeau's brother, Alexandra Trudeau, got paid thirty two thousand dollars. So totaling close to three hundred K in speaking fees. With that piece of information layered on top of what we had talked about last week, and if you want the backstory on last week, you can go to last week's episode, but let's start here. Carter, is this now scandal territory with what we've learned this week? Let's start with this first uh, sort of adding to the layer. Well, I think that uh, scandal is an interesting word, but this is absolutely potential conflict of interest territory. This is absolutely, yes, they should go to the ethics commissioner and get a ruling territory. Um Scandal is is not for for us 
to, to decide that, deter, you know, is determined by the people and whether or not they choose to give a fuck. At this particular moment, they don't. Uh, so it doesn't seem to raise to scandal level. Certainly the political commentators care, the conservatives care. I care. I mean, I'm looking at this and saying this doesn't pass a smell, a, a smell test. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, that someone couldn't didn't know that this was actually happening. Uh, when we made our comment last time, my belief was that uh, Trudeau and his wife were giving their time freely to a charity, and I didn't see it as a conflict. This is bringing new information that I and I eagerly await to find out what the ethics commissioner says because this very well could be now a conflict of interest. Corey, where do you classify this with the new information we've learned this week? Yeah, if you don't care about this, you don't actually care about conflict of interest. It's not a potential conflict of interest with the facts we have at the table. It's it's a conflict of interest. The Conflict of Interest Act describes it as, you know, a benefit, which, by the way, doesn't even need to be pecuniary, as we said, doesn't need to be about money uh, for either yourself, your family or your friends. And uh, it was arguable whether or not it was a, a benefit for friends. But when you're talking about family, immediate family being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by an organization. So like the, the idea that, OK, it's the profit wing of the nonprofit charity. I mean, that's a distinction without a difference at this point. The two are, are basically joined at the hip. That is a conflict of interest. That, that, that is a textbook conflict of interest. And it, there, there's just no getting around that. And, and the liberal whataboutism and the, the partisans right now going around saying no big. It's driving me mental because it's a big, it's, it's, it's a significant concern that the prime minister would not recuse themselves from a cabinet decision like this. Carter, do you feel like this, this conflict of interest, especially with Trudeau, do you feel like it would have made a difference had he actually recused himself from the decision? Or do you feel like the damage here is, is, is done regardless? No, I think that he could have recused himself from the decision and the decision would have been um, much cleaner. I mean, they keep trying to drag other people into this problem. I mean, today the, you, you shared with us the Globe and Mail article uh, trying to bring Katie Telford into this and Seamus O'Regan, um, the, you know, because they raised $400,000. That's not their benefit. They're they're connected to the charity. That is not a conflict of interest in my mind. Um Bill Borneau, the finance minister's uh, daughter, volunteered with the organization. Not a conflict of interest. Uh, as soon as money changes hands, that is a conflict of interest. And it's easier to sit out the decision, especially when you're prime minister. This isn't really your decision to make. Um, yes, all decisions are made by the prime minister's office. But at the same time, the decision can be made and they can stand on the sidelines. We've seen this dozens of times where politicians will all but make the decision stand aside for conflict of interest reasons, the decision gets made and they're able to say, see, I stood aside the conflict of interest. It, it, there isn't one because I took the step to, to remove myself from the final decision-making process. That's what should have been done. Those around the prime minister should have advised him to do that. Don't worry, sir. We got this. You don't need to be in the room. We, why would you put yourself in that type of position is the real question here for me because that's where the judgment failing is it's not it's not a problem with well i didn't like the decision to give this the 900 million to the charity anyways but um more this is this is far bigger than the decision to give away the money Corey. Yeah, well, they would have been on legally more solid ground for sure. It wouldn't be such a slam dunk case of conflict of interest. But there's still the foundational, how was this decision made, right? I mean, let's not forget, there was still this sole sourcing of this contract. And um, it, it's it's hilarious to me, people are talking about cabinet making this, you know, cabinet is where things go to get ratified, not decided. The decision was made prior to it getting to cabinet. There had to be briefs. There had to be a briefing of the prime minister, I am sure. And, uh, and everything had to be signed off ahead of time before it even got to that final gate. And, um, and so, yeah, it, like the fact that he decided he needed to be in the room for it is is wild to me. I, I think that if he was in any way aware of these speaking fees that were coming in for his family, and by the way, the one for his wife, not a big, I, I mean, it's $1,200. It's not nothing. I think it's 1200 But the idea is, like, we're talking hundreds of thousands for his mother. Like, that's that's a totally different game. Like, that's not, I forgot money. That's That was my income money. And um, it, even if you're a rich person... 
And, and so I don't think we can say that was the only error here. I guess that's the thing I would really emphasize. There was still the fundamental decision to soul source that had to occur by someone somewhere uh, that got ultimately ratified by cabinet. Carter, I want to go to you in a second, but Corey, back at you for, for, for a minute here. You mentioned if he knew that his mother was getting paid this money, is it reasonable for us as, as, as citizens to expect? Is it reasonable for Trudeau to know about these things? See, I want to get to that reasonable question because we're talking about distinctions without difference, something you brought up. At this point, it doesn't matter. The coziness relationship is trying to be injected into the narrative with the liberals at large. This concept of whether he was in the room or not, people are, are, are putting that as a distinction, uh, di- you know, without any difference. Should he have known, though? And does that matter? Well, I, at this point, I'm just grasping for how could anybody think this was okay? And, and the only thing I can come up with is that he was, but like, it doesn't even make sense. It's like, hey, mom, how have you been? Oh, you've been speaking at we for the last, I don't know, year and a half, uh, pretty consistently. Well, that's, um, that's pretty tough to suggest that you don't know there's some sort of relationship there, unless you just do not have a relationship with your mother. And um, I, I don't know, I, I just, I, I am at a loss on this one. I have no idea how many fail safes had to fail for them to move forward, knowing now what we know now. Carter, that same basic question, should we have expected him to know? Well, I mean, I guess that's your last line of defense now, ignorance. Um, That's, Mm. you know, I mean, that could legitimately be the case. I don't think that would be the case. I mean, um, it's not like you put down on the conflict of interest forms, you know, your parents' income. Uh, That's not necessarily where it goes, but at the same time, um, you know, I know when you're in the office, when you're when you're working in politics, you know what's going to get you into trouble and what's not going to get you into trouble. You have to know because if you don't, then um, you could be in the wrong room and all of a sudden you're having a really uh, uncomfortable conversation with the ethics commissioner. Um, this this should have been known. Uh, I think I know that the, the the two speakers, you know, so there's rep- this is represented through a speaker's agency, right? Yeah. So his mother and his brother are both going through the same speaker's agency. I would ask the question, who represented Justin before he became prime minister in terms of a speaker agency? I'd be willing to bet it's probably the same speaker agency because, you know, he's been a celebrity. He's been, you know, out there doing things for a long time. I'm sure that he had a speaker agency as well. Um so I think that this is something that would have fallen into the should have known category as opposed to, you know, even if you don't know it, uh, mom, you know, watching other people go through, you know, uh, being tied together with speaker scandals. And lots of people have, um, you know, n- journalists have been dragged down on this a bunch of times in the last couple of years. You'd, you'd be saying, you know, mom, who are you speaking with? Just so I know, like you, you definitely would want to know that. Uh, in order to make sure that you're you're not in trouble, this is this is what bothers me. This is just rookie moves. Uh, these these are rookie moves that shouldn't have been made uh, in the prime minister's office. Uh, you know, Corey makes a point. You know, th- this isn't the only mistake. The the only mistake isn't the the you know the the lack of protect protection. Yeah, I guess sure. There is a uh, there's a case to be made that the, the mistake was the action of giving away $900 million. Yeah, that's a mistake. The mistake, in my mind, is, forget, is, is not protecting the principal. That's the job of the staff. They have to protect the principal, and they didn't. Corey, is it defensible, like, to your point? I know you, you were, you're baffling, perhaps even struggling for words, which has never happened on this podcast before, <laughs> uh, as to what you think <laughs> about this. But Carter said it's the last line of defense, ignorance. Is it a line of defense? Is it a reasonable line of defense? Right now, if you're the liberal sitting there with your strategic hat on, you're thinking of all the moves, is one of them on the table, hey, the PM just didn't know. Is that a reasonable action? Well, depends on how you define reasonable. It, it is reasonable in the sense that as far as your bucket of tactics goes, it's it's pretty empty, and that's one that's still there. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that it's incredibly persuasive, right? Uh, because, look, the legal consequences of uh, a conflict of interest are the same whether it's apparent or real. 
And if if you knew that your mother had a relationship with We Charity to the depth that she did, if you knew your brother did, again, like, did this not come up over Thanksgiving dinner? Like, you're just, you're totally, we're supposed to believe you're totally unaware of just the sheer volume of speeches that were being done for money. Um, you, you have to act in a better fashion than that. And, and I guess, ultimately, this is part of why I'm at such a loss. I think this is a pretty clear-cut case. This is a real problem. And it was mentioned at the start, I think, either by you or by Carter, that the people aren't actually that keyed up about it. And <laughs> maybe it's because they don't want Shearer McKay to be prime minister. But ultimately, that tells me this isn't about principles. This is about sports teams. And, and how disappointing that, that all of these uh, you know, high-minded uh, individuals out there have, have decided just to look the other way on this. Because this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Carter, let's play some strategy. You're putting on your liberal strategist hat right now. You're at that table um, with that with that PMO, the external advisors. You're thinking through options. You can't change the past of what's happened. What tools do you have in front of you, and which one are you, are you picking? Well, speed is the tool that I would pick. Um, right now, no one is particularly fussed. I mean, the media is up in arms. Um, there isn't a leader of uh, the conservative party, uh, so they're not being able to make particular hay. The media seems to think that the way to cover this story is to try and track down everybody that's ever spoken at a WE event and try and connect them back to cabinet. Um, that's diffusing the problem. Uh, I'm loving that. I'm loving the diffusion. Um, so as many diffused voices as can be dra- because you can't take us all down. So let's go add in as many voices as possible and then try and get the ethics commissioner to rule before, I don't know, August the 15th. Um, obviously, this is a very important case. You know, Mr. Ethics Commissioner, we need it by uh, the 15th of August um, so that we can pr- continue to govern and then splash it out, do a couple of mea culpa interviews, um, you know, talk about how it won't happen again and move on like that. That seems to be. Speed seems to be the, the, the tactic that I think is probably the most important. Yeah, compounded with the fact that people are just not caring in, in the summer season that we find ourselves in. Corey, same question for you, but before you get into your strategy, do you agree with Carter that the expansion of the other liberal characters being added into this narrative is actually making the story diffuse rather than more robust? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think this is one of those things you saw in the United States with Donald Trump as well, uh, when people were talking about his impeachment, when you started throwing absolutely everything at Donald Trump, whether it was a real grievance or a fake grievance, it became very easy for supporters to point to the fake grievances and say, see, this is all just a bunch of nonsense. Since when is that a problem? And that's exactly what is happening now by expanding it to involve Telford and O'Regan. It becomes so easy for, for liberal partisans who are are more supportive than thoughtful, I, I will go back to, because I am kind of pissed about all of this, mm-hmm. to say, well, it's ridiculous. Now them supporting charity is a sign of a conflict of interest. And, and that's true. Them supporting a charity is not a sign of a conflict of interest. And this expansion where it's just anybody who has touched the Kielberger's orbit or Wee's orbit uh, makes them a conflict of interest it is dumb and it dilutes the core argument. So, uh, you know, last week I think I said... It, you know, if everything's a scandal, nothing's a scandal. That's true in micro as well as macro. If you try to make everything about this issue, the sky is falling, then then you've got a real problem there. You, you've got to keep focused if you're the opposition on things that are, you know, to the point at hand, the one that is incontrovertible, in my opinion, that is that the prime minister had a pecuniary interest in his family. So if I am taking taking that kind of pointed you know spear and trying to trying to avoid getting stabbed with it if i am the liberals i am pointing out this this broad expansion i am looking at the flimsiest parts of this case and saying this is ridiculous this is dumb see like in no way shape or form is this bad and and i would be trying to make it less about the prime minister was right and more about my accusers are wrong Mm -hmm. And there is a real opportunity there if, if people continue to just throw everything out like that. You know, it's, uh, I saw something on Twitter the other day, somebody saying, oh, Canada has the dumbest scandals. Remember when the prime minister bought donuts and how outraged they were about it? Well, I wanted to be like, they're not the same thing. You know, the prime minister buying expensive donuts and the prime minister approving giving tens of millions of dollars to, to a charity that is 
you know, associate has an associated organization paying his family. Those are not the same thing. I think we can all tell the difference between those things. But if everything's a scandal, nothing's a scandal. And if you can point to that other outrage, that that's what you do if you're the liberals. I want to close on the conservatives and what they should be doing, get, grant this new information this week. But before I do that, Carter, I want to go to you, because as much as we play political strategy on this show, we also play communication strategy. If you're a we right now, you're probably struggling to keep this movement alive, to keep the infrastructure, the operations alive. We recently learned that in advance of getting this grant, which they thought was a sure thing, they had to hire and then lay off something like 450 people. Um, explain to me right now from a comm strategy high level, um, what are you trying to do if you're we? If you're advising we right now, they call you up and say, Stephen, we need your help. What are some of the basic principles or the first principles you're, you're thinking through right now to perhaps salvage their brand and reputation? Uh, the first thing is to duck. Um, there are no stories. <laughs> there are no stories right now that you can be in that are going to help you. Um, then I'd be trying to figure out the way out in a timeline. So the first way out is to end the government scandal. That means you don't talk, you don't add to the problems. Uh, then the next thing that has to happen is some sort of exit from uh, the relationship with the Trudeaus. You cannot be seen to be continuing um, the mistakes that were made that landed you in this place. So that exit uh, should probably take place publicly. It should probably take place after the ethics commissioner has has brought in their ruling. And then you have to try and figure out how to resume operations. And I would do it by focusing on the small ball that you're doing. What is the impact that you're having on society? That's your new message. That's all you talk about. You don't talk about your relationships. You don't you talk about what the future could look like. You don't talk about vision. You talk about that which you do. Because that which you do has impact and will have value within the within society. That's where you focus. Corey, where are you focusing? Same question. Uh, you're hired by, by we to, to give them a hand, salvage their reputation. Uh, what are you doing right now to try to get them out of the crosshairs? Well, I think that this distraction is something that we have to lay at their feet as well, right? When some of the details that came in came in in ways that are deeply embarrassing for we, uh, we making the statement, oh, we didn't pay these people, uh, then media providing, hey, here's the receipts. I think that was actually Canada Land that said, well, well we've got receipts this show you did. And then they replied, oh, yes, we did. <laughs> Our bad. So lying to the media, not a great strategy. Um, but this plus a number of other difficulties that we has been dragging along different accusations about how money is spent and all of that. And I'm not saying that any of them are legitimate. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying at this point, you're dragging a lot along with you. I think this does call for kind of a bold reset strategy, something where uh, principal players in the charity step away and say, what's most important to us is this work we do. And we have become a distraction here. And uh, it is far too important for us that the good work of we continue and it's it's time for a bit of a shakeup. so i, I think that's got to be the keelberger's involvement further reducing it from I, I think it's already been reduced once but um look i mean that's not an easy pill to swallow but this charity is at some serious reputational damage right now imagine going into a boardroom anywhere in this country and saying hey you know, for our corporate social responsibility this year, I think we should cut a $250,000 check for we. Yeah. How's that yeah. going? How's that conversation going right now? You need to write a total reset story um, or else you're going to be laying off a lot more than 450 people. Are either of you focusing, if you're working for we right now, uh, communicating for them, uh, are either of you focusing on throwing the Trudeau government under the bus, putting this squarely in their lane? saying that this is their issue, not your issue. Is that a bridge too far? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it's bold. I'm, I mean, I'm a very... I, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I'm a very aggressive communicator, and I still wouldn't touch that. Um, the reality is that you're allied with this government, if not in person, in, in certainly in action, and I just would would really be hesitant to, to take on a government... Uh, that has this kind of power and and especially when it looks like they're going to survive this and they might do better than than you do like, yeah there's no yeah, way there's point. no way to take them down that's a good point Corey, you wanted to chime in yeah 
this would be an example of trading friends you have for friends you want. You're still going to be um, beaten senseless by your critics, and you will have lost the government of Canada, which is quite a powerful ally. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Okay, let's move it on to the conservatives. The last, uh, you know, uh, player or uh, group of players I wanted to discuss. So they seem to be going down two tracks right now, Carter. The first is calling for an RCMP investigation. I want to get your reaction to that. And then the second one is our good friend, Pierre Polyerv, uh of the Tories saying that he's going to try to compel Justin Trudeau to testify as a witness at the House of Commons Finance Committee. What do you first, before we get into what they should be doing, let's assess what they are doing. How do you make uh, or how do you rate uh, the current two uh, public uh, comments or actions that they have considered for this uh, controversy? Well, let's start with the worst move first. Uh, Pierre Polyev is calling, I'm going to call into my committee and he's going to testify. I mean, talk about finding a way to not communicate with the, the, the real people. I'm sure it did very well on Twitter. I'm sure that all of his Twitter friends um, really retweeted the heck out of that thing. But that's not any way to gather the public's attention. Uh, and you're not going to get anywhere saying Trudeau won't come and testify to my committee. And he won't. So this is not ever going to happen. Um, I would, I, I'm, I'm like flabbergasted with that as a strategy. And then calling in the RCMP, I mean, sure, it seems like a good idea. Look, the RCMP are going to come in and they're going to investigate this. Well, right now the RCMP are, are investigating um, Jason Kenney's leadership campaign and whether or not it did anything wrong. That was two and a half years ago. The investigation is not timelined on political communications. Political communications happen in the moment, and RCMP investigations happen uh, in glacial speed. Uh, So I I think that both of those tactics are horrific. Um, And I'll now hand it over to my my good friend, Corey, who's going to explain to me uh, why they're really good tactics. (laughs) Mr. Hogan? (laughs) What do you think, Corey? Well, they're trying to build good theater. The, the images of RCMP raiding an office, we saw that under the Harper government. That was damaging, uh, that was damaging um, video that got played over and over again. And seeing a prime minister grilled by a committee, well, we saw that too in ad scam. And again, it was played over and over again, not always to the effect they wanted because Chrétien probably gave about as good as he got. Um but they do risk making it all look too partisan. So here's the thing. when they're, If you believe that this is truly, truly wrong, what occurred, right? Truly wrong. Then you don't need to try to stir it up too much further beyond that. Mm-hmm. You actually almost need to take the opposite. You almost need to step back, you know, have this pallor and be like, my, my Lord, look what has happened here. We just, like, this is, this takes your breath away. And, uh, you know, the prime minister being grilled by some asshole committee is not going to do that, right? You you need to make it seem more serious, not more partisan. And the two sometimes are almost mutually exclusive. Like you, you've you've got to you've got to find a way to to match the moment. You, you don't need to put kindling on this one, right? You don't need your supporters cheering. Yeah, good for you. Go for the jugular. You need middle of the road Canadians saying this is too far. This is breathtaking. And and you take an entirely different approach with that. Carter, same question to you. You you answered uh, your assessment of what they are doing. Uh, by the way, uh, before I ask you what they should be doing, does the RCMP wear windbreakers when they storm someone's place of work? I feel like I feel like my my uh, consumption of U.S. media uh, allows me to think <laughs> that they should be wearing windbreakers uh, when they storm someone's place of work. Yeah. Carter, what should the conservatives be doing at this moment in time? They also have bad boys, bad boys playing on the loudspeakers when they go crashing through. Too many episodes of Cops. Um, no, I mean, what the conservatives should be doing is what, what Corey is suggesting, uh, which also pains me. But if this is real, and I think that it is real, then you wait. You wait and you, and you allow uh, the forces that will ratchet this up on its own to ratchet it up on its own. The media will do that. The ethics commissioner will do that. Uh, those... You know, when the ethics report comes out, you want a fully fleshed out um, strategy that will allow you to reach the right level of outrage um, without standing atop, you know, the hill of screaming wolf all the time. And this is what they do. They always are always after every, every political party now, every political opposition is screaming wolf at every opportunity. And it just dilutes the actual times when you you actually have something that is serious. This may be one of those times. 
sit down, let the processes unfold, and then be ready when it happens. Corey, last question that I want to ask you guys, just a quick one. Uh, this time next week when we're recording our next episode, is this story better or worse for the Trudeau liberals? It might be better if, if people don't start actually caring. I mean, what else could possibly be added into it at this point that would make it worse? He says, knowing now there will probably be something tomorrow. <laughs> You're taking the Carter line. But, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean— I personally, I want an argument that Trudeau did nothing wrong that doesn't rely on entirely ignoring the definition of conflict of interest and doesn't rely on pointing on somebody else doing something worse. You know, this whataboutism I was talking about earlier. I haven't seen that yet online. I've I've seen a lot of deflection. I've seen a lot of dancing. But I want to know what the hell happened here. What I would like as a citizen in the next seven days is to understand how this could possibly have happened because this is this is like i said pretty breathtaking carter better or worse one week from today for trudeau well i think it is um better if the conservatives keep screaming and i think it is worse if things suddenly go quiet Uh, because if things start to go quiet i worry about what's going to come later Uh, but the continued screaming in the media uh, choosing to dig around for anybody who's ever spoken in a WE event uh, and, and pull them out. That's nothing but good news for, for the Prime Minister. Um, so if if this is still front page news or, or in the, the our daily rags with um, headlines that are bringing in all the other people who have ever been involved with WE, um, well, you know, millions of people have been involved. Millions of people have gone to these events. They're big. This is a big group, big charity. So that will dilute, and dilution is good. So I think overall, um, it is more likely to feel better next week. Whether it is better, I'm going to reserve judgment. Corey? Yeah, if it turns out to be one part real scandal, 11 parts fake scandal, the Trudeau liberals will skate on this. Let's move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, the masked man reaches new lows. Guys, Donald Trump... (laughs) He has finally <laughs> wore a mask in public, saying it's no big deal, whatever. I could wear a mask. I'm probably the best at wearing masks. I, may, I wear the greatest masks. Um, he's now been seen in public wearing a mask, but of course, that is one of the most trivial things that's happened in the United States this week. I want to go through a couple of uh, scenarios and situations that we have seen, eye-popping as they are, uh, and talk to you about what Biden should be doing, what Trump should be doing, just you know, have a, a little bit of a powwow on this American potpourri. And let's start with... Trump wearing a mask for the first time amidst a second wave in the United States that is unbelievably horrific. I think Florida reaching a new daily high, beating their daily high every single day with, I think, 15,000 or 16,000 in that case range every single day Mm -hmm. on their case count. Um, Guys, if you're Biden right now, you're watching this case count go up. You're watching Trump having no ruddering and and, and ability to handle it. What are you what are you doing if you're Biden? Corey, I'm going to start with you. Well, at this point, I'm just um, like this. This is something that is that is probably worth putting politics aside for and saying, how in the world do we stop Americans from killing each other by going to covid parties, by doing things like this? This is just really big and it's got to be fixed. This is bad. This is bad. You know, lots and lots of people are dying. And, um, you know, more opportunistically, I suppose, if you're Biden, you're also probably hoping, oh, God, I hope this doesn't get so terrible that the election itself becomes a total clusterfuck, just a total disaster, Uh, which seems like it's a real possibility. How in the world are you going to get to the polls if you've never even gotten out of the first wave? People are dying. Hospitals are just, you know, full of sick people. Uh, So if I'm Biden, I'm doing whatever I can to lean on every Republican I can. And you know what? Talk about last horse you know, crossing the finish line. I'm glad Donald Trump is now wearing a mask. I hope some of his supporters take it more seriously. But I am reaching across and saying, what can we do? What can we do to save Americans' lives? Because this is looking really bad right now. Carter? Well, one thing that I am really, really surprised by, because uh, Joe Biden has as one of his principal advisors, Ronald Klein, who who ran the uh, the Ebola crisis response, Um and maybe the swine flu too, but I know for the Ebola for sure. And he is arguably one of the the most informed people about how to get through this type of thing. They've got all kinds of doctors, all kinds of resources that they could access. Why aren't they not setting up a parallel briefing structure? 
Why aren't we seeing a daily briefing coming out of the Democratic HQ on what's really happening and the steps that can be taken? Now, I know it's going to be perceived as partisan, but to Corey's point, you got to start somewhere. We've got to start doing something that shows what we're going to do instead of just shows the talk. Right now, Biden talks. He tells us that he's going to be better. All of his ads tell us that he's going to be a better president. Why wouldn't you start walking the walk? Start showing us how you'd govern. Start start showing us how you would allow the experts to take center stage, but you're going to use your campaign to elevate those experts so that more people hear them. Right now, the people who need to hear this aren't hearing it. Disney World's opening, guys. Disney World is opening. This is not a good time for this to be happening, but no one is standing up and saying, stop, this isn't what we need. Corey, I see you reacting to the parallel structure that Carter was mentioning. Uh, Go ahead. What do you have to say? Uh, It's crazy. It's confusing and confusing is dangerous. You can't Confusing from what? What are we talking about? You can't have a shadow government stepping out of the shadows and just saying, there is no government process. Fauci isn't being allowed to to, to brief. There are no... The, the daily briefings are over. No one's standing up and saying this is a real issue. All you see is Trump every once and in a while think, standing up and saying, oh, don't wear a mask. Oh, I wore a mask. Don't wear a mask. I wore a mask because I can because I'm a big man. Yeah. The, you know, this is this is madness. <laughs> I mean, you can keep talking if you want, but you're just digging your hole deeper. Biden does not have access to the statistics at a county level that are being funneled through the CDC and all of the different structures of government that are there. It is nuts to think that his briefing would actually be in any way better or additive to the process. It would it would just politicize what is already a dangerously politicized. So you event. think it'd be performative, Corey? That- you think it'd be just strictly performative? Well, what in the? I mean, how in the world would it not be? Are you really going to say that you are going to know more in this situation? You would just be bringing a different flavor of ignorance no, to the. You can stand up and <laughs> say Disney World don't open. You have fifteen thousand cases in Florida today. Fifteen thousand. I don't care where they are. Disney World don't open. And you can use the power of your campaign and the power of your ho- your your vice presidential voice and your hopeful presidential voice to save lives isn't that what you just said 30 you're not saving lives you're politicizing the situation worse all of a sudden it becomes like a proud republican moment to go get covid it is a proud republican (laughs) moment to go and get covid they are doing it right now this is nuts. This is nuts. We're actually seeing signs for the first time of depoliticizing this, right? We're seeing more co- or more coverage in Fox News and the ilk talking about the dangers of, of COVID-19. We are seeing the president of the United States finally wearing a mask. Like I said, lowest of bars, lowest of bars, but it's at least a positive step. And if all of a sudden Joe Biden comes out and starts politicizing it again, a, that will backfire. B, it will lose lives. And and C, he he can't just show, do it. He, like, he's not good enough to do show, it. That's the other well, thing. Show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. Show us how you're going to govern. Don't tell us how you're going to govern. This is the opportunity to show there are significant issues. The same thing with, with Mitt Romney walking in, in the Black Lives Matter. He showed us what his views were. He didn't tell us what his views were. He showed us. That was impactful. Start showing us... Biden team, start showing us how you would deal with this pandemic because it's still going to be there in November and it's still going to be there in January when you're sworn in. This is significant. Guys, I'm going to move on to our next one. We've got the second issue I want to talk about in Trump's America this week. This one is the Trump administration undercutting Dr. Fauci. So not letting him brief, as Carter had mentioned, uh, going against some of the the, the advice and the uh, backroom conversations where he was uh, guiding uh, and, and advising strategic uh, uh, strategically what the country should be doing. Uh, I don't want to start with the party. Corey, I want to start, if you are hired by Dr. Fauci right now to say, hey, listen, <laughs> this is happening to me. This is happening to my role. This is happening in the midst of a very serious second wave, first and a half wave, however we want to assess it. What are you communicating? How are you advising me to communicate? Should I just stay low and let the politicians be the politicians? Or do I need to actually defend my voice because lives are at stake? Well, lives are at stake. And one of the things people need to keep in mind whenever an official gets trotted out and starts talking, whether it's somebody in a forest fire, whether it's a physician at a time like this, 
that is not their entire job. And getting ready for those things is not their entire job. And I'm sure Fauci has made the calculation in his own head that he is doing more good, even in a muted version, being able to run things behind the scenes, than, than having somebody come in totally fresh who is unaware of the situation, having to deal with Trump's craziness for the first time, and trying to figure out where the bathroom is at the same time they're trying to get a vaccine made for the United States. So I, I can fully appreciate what he's doing. And I think that it's very easy to think that somebody's job is only the part of their job that you can see. But I suspect this is still a relatively small part of his job. Now, public communications, obviously a big part of the overall consideration of government health apparatus. He's he's probably nudging it in a hundred different ways. He's probably talking to his counterparts at the state saying, just get out what you can. Just just do your thing there. Everybody is trying to make, uh, you know, a sandwich out of this shit right now. And um, if I'm him, I'm I'm probably just picking my moments wherever I can, but I do not think that America would be well served by him righteously resigning. Let's put it that way. Not at this moment. Not not during a pandemic. Car- Carter, anything with his words or actions that you would advise him if, if he brought you on board? Well, I think that Corey's misread the entire situation, as, <laughs> as often he does. Um, because This is a feisty we're, one today. We're being asked to, to, to guide Dr. Fauci. We're not being asked to, to fix the... The, the public health crisis, because no one is fixing that. That's not getting fixed. Under the current administration, under Dr. Fauci's leadership, it's getting worse, not better. But Dr. Fauci, what he needs to understand is he's being made the fall guy. The steps are being taken right now. He is going to be the fall guy come November. The reason that we have this problem is because we listened to this bastard. And you can already see state governors saying, I think it was Texas, that said, we're not going to listen to him anymore. We're not going to listen to Dr. Fauci. Everything that he said has led us to this point now. That was, that's been tested. That's where they're going. And if I'm advising Dr. Fauci, I'm saying, I appreciate what you're trying to do. I appreciate that you're trying to solve this. But you're being made a scapegoat. So we're now going to develop a communication strategy to ensure you're not held to account for this. We're going to make sure that we are pointing the finger where the finger needs to be pointed. And that means we need you to get the fuck out of there because we need to tell them everything. We need a tell-all book by August. Everybody needs This will be a serialized version that's going to go in the New York Times every Friday from now until November. We're going to write uh, a chapter and we're going to publish it in the New York Times. And we're going to make sure that everybody understands the timeline of the pandemic from Dr. Fauci's point of view so that... This is, you are not going to be having the finger pointed at you. We're going to make sure that they are all pointing right at that big fat fox that's the president of the United States. Sorry, I lost my cool there at the end. Yeah, uh, I mean, Corey, he did say he was an aggressive communicator. Steven did. Uh, (laughs) Steven, I have to interject. That seems like a fucking crazy plan. It is crazy. (laughs) But look what's going to happen. Look what's going to happen to Fauci. Tell me if I'm wrong. They're going to put him... You're possibly not wrong. No, no, it's a good point. Write it down. Corey Corey loves taking the stuff that I predict that never happens and playing it like a gajillion years later, okay? So mark this one down, Hogan boy. Mark this one down and play it for me in November when they've got Fauci masks and they're all burning them in effigy because we're still having all of these these COVID cases. Mark my words, this is what they're trying to do. Carter's really pitching hard for the business that doesn't exist to work for oh, Anthony Fauci. Man, take, I, would get, I would get so much money for this client. Like I would make so much money off of this. It would be so good. Uh, Corey... I don't even know what to say. Moving on from that for a second. If you're team Biden, let's go back to Biden again. Does Fauci have coattails? Are you just in the position of defending him regardless, proxy-wise? Or are you perhaps distancing yourself too? Like this this attraction to to, uh, attract yourself and append yourself to the public health officials seems obvious, but I want to hear your take. Yeah, don't don't go down with that boat. I I don't I, I don't think Carter's wrong. He is going to be made the fall guy by Trump. Give it a month. Give it two months. I think Fauci knows that too. I think that he's willing to go down, perhaps stoically, perhaps unreasonably, um, as long as he can continue to make progress towards fighting this thing. And I'll bet you it will be one hell of a book. I'm not I I'm not actually totally aboard by Carter's strategy. I, I think that in some ways one of the benefits of it is it 
it makes it so much less likely that this guy wins re-election. And we've seen what a hazard he is. We've seen how many people have died because Donald Trump is president. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe I got a little bit sold by Stephen's crazy, batshit crazy <laughs> idea there. One every two or three episodes, baby. <laughs> one every two or three years. That is indeed the case, Carter. Um, <laughs> last one, I'm going to you. Roger Stone has been granted clemency by, by, by Trump. How are you reacting if you're, if you're the Biden camp? Are you getting loud? Are you letting this one skate through because it's, it's too complicated and it was expected? What are, you, what are you thinking of doing? I'm jumping all over it. I mean, it's a simple story. Uh, man lies in court to protect the boss. The boss gets him off a- afterwards. That's the story. Um, and no, it's not like there's this giant uh, contingent of people who liked Roger Stone. Um, you know, people don't like Roger Stone. The media don't like Roger Stone. And this is an easy, simple story to, to tell. Tell it. Tell it frequently. Um, make hay. Make hay. That's all I Corey, have. same question to you. The Roger Stone, the Roger Stone situation with with Trump. What are you doing if you're Team Biden right now? Well, the fact that Trump once again did something like this on a Friday night tells you everything you need to exactly. know about how politically popular a move like this is. So, yeah, jump all over it. One of the fascinating consequences of this is it seems to have gotten Mueller back off of the bench and he's now going to be well he's written an op-ed about it and now he's going to be called to the Senate to discuss all of this. So. Uh, I guess where you've got more to come, and if I'm the Biden campaign, I am definitely... Well, look, he's got to decide what his narrative is. He has seemed to have moved past this idea of relitigating impeachment. This will drag him back into the impeachment fight. So there is actually an argument to be made for letting other people have this fight and not getting distracted by it. But, um, I mean, we'll see. I'm definitely staying live to it. I'm making sure my calendar... My event calendar is not too busy for the next bit. My communication calendar has some holes in it to to drop some stuff in that just stabs the president in the heart for his activity here. But but you also don't want to retool your entire campaign and start chasing this as well. Okay, let's move it on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Guys, are you ready? So ready. Uh, I'm so I'm so excited that this is going to be the week where you answer my questions correctly. Uh, first one, Corey, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad it would it be for political communications, 1 to 10 for political communications, if TikTok actually uh, is banned from the United States? I don't think it would matter very much. There are, there are things that happen on TikTok that obviously are politics adjacent, K-pop yep. fans going and getting tickets for, for Donald Trump. But it's not a particularly political medium, and in insofar as it has any political cachet, it's usually in the cringiest sense. It's it's somebody goes on it, like Jagmeet Singh, who who then jumps on a bunch of TikTok memes, and then everybody outside of TikTok fawns all over them, like, oh, look at this guy, look how hip he is. But, you know, it's not a deeply political medium. I think politics will survive in its absence. Carter, same question to you. One to ten on TikTok leaving the U.S. and the implications for political communications. Well, I think it'd be really irrelevant, actually. I mean, the real political communications, communications to journalists happens on Twitter and political communications to voters happens on Facebook. Uh, we haven't seen any real bounce from from uh, TikTok at all. Um, sure, they, they claim to have taken over that uh, wonderful Tulsa event, um, but there's been a bunch of events since then. You know, he had to can- Trump had to cancel an event uh, for weather um, related reasons because, you know, People aren't going, and that's. I think it's bigger than TikTok. Um, so I, I think that it's irrelevant. That's great. Thanks so much to both of you for giving me a score on that. Uh, Corey, over <laughs> under on seven. <laughs> over under on seven, Bob Ray being announced as our next ambassador to the UN. I give it a silver star. It doesn't necessarily strike me as a bad choice. He's certainly a very smart man, a very capable man, and... Uh, the thing I think that bothers me the most about it is is this sense of nepotism again. The, you know, his father had the job. He's got the job. You know, Trudeau's got the job his father had. It just strikes me as very unmeritocratic. But he, he's not a bad choice if you just look at it from a resume point of view. Certainly having the ear of the prime minister is an important thing. I do wonder how this works in timing with our 
our, our desire to be on the Security Council. You have to imagine that in Justin Trudeau's dream world, because there's no way this came together in like a week, right? We win the Security Council seat. Bob Ray's going back. It's it's part of a big push to make the UN more relevant. Doesn't doesn't hit the same way anymore. Um, but having having a prominent Canadian and a prominent uh, you know connection of the Prime Minister at the UN. That's not bad. Carter, over under on seven on Bob Reagan heading to the UN. I'm still staggered that Corey managed to equate nepotism and meritocracy in the same explanation. Um, this is a man <laughs> who literally has the resume. He, he is he's, he's a good choice. He'll do a good work for Canada. Um, I, would, I would say that this is an A+. Plus. Well, thank you so much, Carter. I really appreciate that. Okay, let's go from on a scale of 1 to 10. Here in Alberta, Jason Kenny, in his escalating conversation with doctors, if I can even call it a conversation, his escalating barbs with doctors is now saying, well, perhaps we'll just reveal how much some of you make as part of our sunshine list. From a pure strategy move, Corey, what are you thinking? Yeah, why not? The, everybody is picking the frame that is most advantageous to them. Doctors are government is and you see this in all of the facts that are being thrown about you know one of the groups will say hey look at the look at the increases since 2010 it's been below the average hey the other group says hey look at the increases since 2000 it's been above the average and um there's there's just kind of this competing set of of data now when we talk about these salaries immediately everybody is going to say well okay but our our cost structures are different there too if I'm the government, I'm making sure that the doctors also have the ability to show their cost structure. Now, every doctor has made these calculations already. That's what they had to do when they filled out their taxes uh, for their business. So if, if doctors are concerned about it, if I'm the government, I'm inviting doctors to provide that information as well. And I would make any kind of sunshine or disclosure have the ability to do that and push the onus back to doctors. This is one of those situations where, um, you know, the government cannot win. But if they've decided to do this, they should try to do it in a way that's uh, least likely to, to dig them a deep hole. Carter, what do you think on a 1 to 10 with the strategy that Kenny's playing right now or threatening to play? Well, I'm going to uh, use uh, Minister Tyler Shandro uh, and his words from March 24th, 2013 to emphasize what Corey was saying. Uh, he's replying to Kiki Planet, one of the great Twitter accounts and per- people on the Internet. Um the highest billing, yes. Paying the highest salaries, the highest rent, and the highest amounts for equipment. If doctors aren't employees paid by a salary, there's but small businesses, and they could make more money in other provinces. So that's what he's saying there, and he's saying it because uh, we pay a lot of money to our to our doctors, but those doctors have to pay a lot of expenses. He said that in 2013, before he was even dreaming about being the health minister. Now he is the health minister, and he's trying to make a totally different argument and and releasing uh, just the the gross amount that that doctors get paid. Now I'm no friend of doctors. Doctors, uh, we got into a little scrap with the doctors when, in, with the Redford government, and they they laid down a couple million dollars to try and beat us in a in a campaign. Uh, but in this particular case, like you have to tell the full story. Now, the full story is that every time you go to a first minister's meeting, the other first ministers beg you to stop paying your doctors so much. Because every time we give a raise to our doctors, the doctors across the country get a raise. And the reason for that is we pay the highest amounts. Now, we also have the highest uh, salaries and the, and, and the highest expenses. And that's why nurses also get paid the highest amounts. So if you're going to be doing cuts to doctors, you're going to be, you know, like nurses, doctors, all of these people, they get paid more in Alberta because the expenses are more. Because this is this is the, the market that we have. Uh, and the market, I don't think we want to undermine it. Um, doctors are significant small businesses within our communities. And I don't think we want to undermine it in this particular moment. This is the worst time to pick this fight. And uh, Shandro knows it because he wrote it on March 24th, 2013. Corey, I want to go back to you sticking with Alberta. Over under on seven, Murray Renault, an NDP member here in Alberta, uh, was speaking on Bill 30, which was a health care bill which proposed significant changes to health care. She then accused a member of the UCP government uh, for making faces and, and, and non-verbal intimidation. Long story short, the acting speaker asked her to apologize. She did not, and then she was booted out. How would you how would you rate her handling of, of what's happened and may, perhaps even just a broader analysis in your mind very quickly as to what you made of the situation? 
Yeah, under, way under. In a week where the UCP introduced legislation to expand private health care, destroyed the ability of unions to advocate for their members, and basically abolished overtime, why would you move the focus to this? You took the focus off the big issues, issues in your box, in your frame, health care and, and jobs on the, on the organized labor front, and you put it on you, Marie Renault. Uh, representatives who make it about themselves, parties who make it about themselves, instead of the people they represent, have lost their way. This was an amateur move by the NDP. They should have known better. And uh, I certainly hope that they drop this next Carter, one. Carter, same question over under on seven. Well, let me clean up a little bit for, from Corey. This does matter, right? This does matter. Um, intimidation and bullying in the workplace is a bad thing. But you chose to be an MLA. Uh, it's filled with conflict. And now's not the time. There was a time we could have done this uh, a few weeks ago. We could have done this at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement discussions. There, there are other times to do it, but not this week. This week is about your agenda items, and that uh, has been completely undermined. Um, we still don't know what the bills are that have been introduced in the legislature because we're talking about this. And if you're talking about the wrong thing on your time, then you're really screwing up. Corey. Yeah, so that kind of behavior matters a great deal. Nonverbal intimidation matters a great deal. Trying to trying to make people uncomfortable in the workplace matters a great deal. But you were there. Uh, you're, you're fighting for a cause here, and you've got to mat- you've got to think about what matters the most. And uh, at this particular moment, the, you have moved focus off of the things that could have really moved the dial for you. And, um, and, and, and yeah, this would be fine if it was a different week. But the fact that it occurred this week, sometimes you've just got... And you know what? I can already hear the counter arguments like this. No, that kind of behavior should always be called out. Well, th- that's communications chaos. And I wish we lived in a world where that wasn't the case, but it is. And you've just got to focus on the thing in front of you at the time. I cannot believe... I didn't even know it was for Bill 30. I knew it was for one of these bills. But the fact is, everybody is talking about the action and, and not what she was actually there to defend and stand up against. Let's close it off with a listener question. Of course, you're like, what? There's listener questions? There are. <laughs> Corey, you've trained me well. Leave us five stars. We'll, we'll, we'll then... Ask a listener question, maybe. I may dig it up. I may I may ask it. But this one, of course, is in two forms. Uh, the first part of the question is for me. Uh, now that Zane is Alberta's vice regal son-in-law, what will his coat of arms look like? And which member of the 1999 San Antonio Spurs will be featured? The answer of Vinny Del Negro. Now, the question for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're seeing endless polls about the American election, national, statewide, presidential, approval, right track, wrong track, registered voters, etc. Which indicators are you guys looking at demographically or otherwise and watching the most? And this question comes from Beasley 2010, Beasley 2010. Thank you for your question. But guys, what demographic features, what psychographic features, what are you guys looking at as as the most interesting thing heading into uh, the November election? Well, I'll jump in. Um, Seniors. I'm very interested to see seniors moving away from the Republicans. The, this is uh, one of the things that is happening in multiple states. Um, obviously, you know, we also can't just look at the, the national polling numbers. Uh, we learned that lesson the hard way in 2016. Um, so we're looking at seniors in, in the swing states. Uh, I don't get too fussed with things like, um, you know, Today's headlines are that uh, Texas is now a swing state. I'm not too fussed by that. I'm not seeing the same movement of seniors in Texas yet. Um, But when those seniors are moving uh, bigly, as uh, Trump would say, uh, then then something reels afoot. They tend to vote more. So when you're seeing younger age groups coming out massively for Biden, it doesn't matter too much to me. And there's one other thing that I saw on a poll that that's, you know, Former Warren supporters are all voting for Biden. Uh, Former uh, Bernie supporters are almost all voting for Biden. That is a very, very marked departure from where we were in 2016, and that will matter as well. Corey, same question to you. Demographically, maybe even geographically, what are you looking at? Yeah, I'm not actually spending a lot of time on polls this election, not not yet at least. If polling is accurate, Biden has the election. And so I'm looking for signs that there may be a bit of a polling miss, first and foremost. So part of my big scan is just identifying where uh, narratives are playing in. 
I go to Fox News every day. I subject myself to that. <laughs> I, I go through all of these different channels, and I try to see whether there are dents in the armor uh, for the Republicans, and you're starting to see Republican channels criticize Republicans. Because if there is a polling miss, I think it's largely because Republicans have decided not to engage in, in the polling game in many ways. Insofar as I am looking at polls, and this is certainly not something polled with frequency, but it's really on Biden himself and characteristics about Biden. I still worry that he is just, despite having been the vice president for eight years, despite having these decades of tenure, that he's a bit of a blank slate, he's a bit undefined, and that most people have have locked, or quote-unquote locked, placed their vote. Um, at, at least when pollsters call right now, based more against Trump than for Biden. And certainly the polls show that. that That is a real vulnerability for Biden, because if all of a sudden people start focusing more on Biden and decide, actually, I'm not so wild about this guy. Maybe I'm going to vote for Kanye or something like that. Um, maybe not Kanye. But you hear what I'm saying. All of a sudden you could find that that lead could just evaporate overnight. So I'm more looking for a polling fail. I'm looking for the risk that Biden could absolutely collapse if the spotlight's on him. That's what I'm spending my time on. Beastly 2010, thank you for sending your questions. Keep sending your questions, San Antonio Spurs related and otherwise. And we'll leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 811 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.